Howdy. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at History and Film on Instagram and HIF Pod on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at TrackNerds, and you can always email me at Simmons at TrackNerds.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to History and Film. I am Rich Simmons, and this is the second matchup in the final four of our tournament to determine the most interesting person in history. Obviously, this is a History and Film podcast. We haven't talked about specific movies in a while as we're just kind of doing a wrap-up tournament from our World History Project where we went through one, uh, went through World History one movie at a time. And this is T.E. Lawrence versus Napoleon who will face off against each other today to determine who is more interesting and who will face Cleopatra in the championship of our tournament here. And I have Logan Denning and Joe Hubner here with me to help uh decide it gentlemen how we doing wonderful okay so i want to do basically what we did last time where we're just going to kind of do some hypotheticals here and move our figures into some different timelines and just kind of see how things will hash out this will be a little different just because they're a little more contemporary to us you know basically just 100 years ago and 200 years ago respectively for these two gentlemen but let's start with Napoleon, and we're going to put him into early 20th century, we'll say Arabia and England. We can kind of play with him in both of these worlds. And let's start as if he was, say, transported to them. So Napoleon, instead of getting captured by Bill and Ted and brought to 1980s California, he's brought to Arabia in the midst of World War One. What, what, what do we see from him here? So I think, I don't know about in Arabia, but I think that in World War One, in that time period, number one, he speaks French. So, like, the language thing is not really an issue this time because, like, he's in, you know, Europe and it's only, how, how many years is it from, like, the death of Napoleon to, when did he die? I'm going to look it up. Like 1815-ish, I thought. So, yeah, basically, you're looking at roughly 100 years is all he's moving forward. Yeah, so so r- roughly 100 years. So, it's not, it's not like that crazy right. of a of a stretch the world is not that much different than he would have known the weapons would kind of blow him away though a lot of the a lot of the uh some of the you know you get to like tanks and planes and stuff you're right he had artillery though well, you're the, right the, so the 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 weapons though were were new to everybody in world war one <laughs> true fair like the tanks and the machine guns and the airplanes like that that was everyone like up until that point people were fighting wars pretty much the same way napoleon yeah, that's did. interesting right so because I think of Napoleon, that, how he did it. <laughs> True. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think uh, I, I think that he he probably gets involved. I think he's probably leading leading some troops in uh, in World War One. And if he has political ambitions, he's probably successful in that too. Definitely post war. I think it's probably hard for him to be like you know mega emperor dictator type, just because of. You know the the way the the world was at that time. I don't know if maybe he becomes like a French version of Hitler without all the Nazi stuff, but I, maybe closer to a uh, a Winston Churchill type figure, where you know he has leadership experience from the war and he has political ambitions and ambitions of power. At that point in time, a hundred years post Napoleon, the aristocracy is definitely not as big of a barrier as it was to him when he was trying to get power and he became the emperor of France. So I don't think it's, it's a too much of a stretch to think that he 
is successful at the national level in in uh, the political arena. Yeah, I was trying to do a little scenario where does he stay in Arabia and end up being emperor of Arabia, but I think just the racial component is an issue there, and they would never accept uh, an outsider as like the overall leader, no matter right. how competent he was. Yeah, so it is kind of interesting. Basically, are you putting him in France? Are you putting him in Arabia? Are you putting him in England? But yeah, you're right. I think he adjusts pretty darn well to the world of of Lawrence of Arabia, no matter no matter where you're putting him, because a lot of the same skills apply yeah and the churchill thing i think is pretty accurate you're right like there's i never thought about them being fairly similar obviously napoleon born into a lesser status than churchill with his father being an mp and all that but yeah i think the rise in ambition and the competence is very very similar very similar yeah it almost makes you wonder right. yeah, would, would church, I, yeah. I, I don't I, I don't know if it's if it's necessarily fair to put him in arabia because i mean like i don't think he really would care about the oh, gotcha. uh, Arabian part of the conflict. I, I think that that was like more just because T.E. Lawrence was interested in that to begin with. I I think that even if you put him in Arabia, I think he's like, oh, well, the first thing I'm going to do is go to France and fight in World War One in France. Gotcha. So yeah, more like, I guess, put him in Lawrence's role in Britain. And then you're right, he never goes to Arabia, but he still goes and fights on the front and is be- becomes a general and is super competent. Yeah, if you put him in Eurasia in World War One, I, I think that he definitely fights in World War One, definitely leads troops in World War One, but probably in the European theater because that's what he cares more about. I do think it's worth noting that, you know, he did make a trip to Egypt. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So it's not too far off. And yeah, he uh, ultimately wasn't very successful there. But again, he... T.E. Lawrence was fighting with the Arabs because he believed in the cause of Arab independence. Whereas yes, totally right. different. Napoleon would not give a shit right. about that. He and he didn't really even care about like fighting in the military that much. Anyway, he just knew that if he wanted to get power, that as a a non noble, that was kind of his only path, only possible path to get any kind of like clout and power and recognition. So. I think that he would, yeah, it, even if you put him in Arabia, he's like, I don't I don't care about the Arabs. I care about getting political power in France. I'm going to go, you know, fight on the Western Front and, like, try and kill some Germans or something so that I can get a bunch of medals and promotions and, you know, run for office after the war's over. I'm not a huge military tactics guy as far as I just don't know enough about it, but do we think a innovator like napoleon would have come up with a better solution to trench warfare and maybe figured out a way or is that just necessity of the technology at the time that was going to happen there's nothing he could do about it i i don't know if he's i think it's inevitable okay yeah i i think that at at the time just the because like it's not like nobody at the time was like you know tactically or strategically savvy like true that conflict was the way it was in spite of all of the brilliant military minds on on both sides it's just kind of how it shook out with the like you put a bunch of machine guns in an open field well then you're you got to take cover and dig into the trenches because yeah. you know you don't you can't cross the the no man's land because you're just going to get torn to shreds so yeah i i think the the tactics are probably largely unchanged even with napoleon there and then obviously tanks as they progressed were the the counter to that yeah. But there wasn't anything that Napoleon would have like expedited right. the, the technology. Yeah. And as brilliant as Napoleon was, it's not like foresight was one of his big strengths when you look at, you know, <laughs> Russia and all those things. So 
yeah, you're right. I think, yeah. So I'd be curious to see how much you could have risen in the ranks when you're stuck in a, almost a dead-end war that World War One was. Or does he end up getting scapegoated, you know, for some mission, some side mission as he's trying to rise up to the ranks and he just ends up getting scapegoated like Churchill did with Gallipoli and then fades into obscurity for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but even still, Winston Churchill was massively successful. No, right. Even being the scapegoat right. for that. So, so Napoleon could do a similar thing for France, I don't think right? Of, I think as, as long as he survives the war and, like, gets a couple promotions, and pro- likely would have, because when you look at how he was fighting, not not, like, specifically his tactics, but just his general attitude towards leadership in combat, like... He's leading from the front. He's fighting alongside his guys. He's not afraid to, like, get in the shit. Like, his very first battle, he gets wounded. He's going to be one of those leaders who's in the trenches with his guys, you know, maybe is successful and, in, in, you know, tactically successful, maybe not so much. But either way, I think that just his attitude towards leadership is going to make him rise through the ranks anyway. I agree. He's still going to... Uh, end up being successful militarily just you know like Logan said because of his views on leadership and because he's very charismatic but I think his success is going to look different you know obviously in in World War One his his success is going to have to be finding some innovative solution to the the current predicament with trench warfare and and finding ways to more or less get behind enemy lines I guess whereas his success in his his actual time period, you know, was built on his military tactics and, and being able to conquer large amounts of land so that it's going to look different. But I think he's still going to be very successful militarily. Do we think a Napoleon, say, in charge of France from the beginning of World War One, is able to prevent a French surrender and kind of completely change uh, the war from that standpoint? I don't know. If you're going think... to say the best general on the field is now Napoleon instead of anybody the Germans had. And I don't know enough about World War II, or sorry, World War One, and who, which generals and all those kinds of things and mistakes specifically that were made, but yeah. I don't know, because I, I mean, if, if Napoleon isn't Napoleon during the Napoleonic era, <laughs> does World War I even happen? <laughs> because so much, so much, like kind of the reason that World War I didn't happen sooner was because napoleon's france was in charge of so much of europe that yeah germany wasn't unified until the 1870s right and then as you know they unify in 1870 whatever and then world war one is 1914 like it without napoleon maybe world war one happens like 30 40 50 years sooner let's do let's do it where it's both where it's basically napoleon loses waterloo and then is transported 100 years into the future so you still have then uh, the full Napoleonic Wars followed up with a Napoleon now again in charge of France 100 years later. So, so I'm saying the war still happens at the same time. Um, I think he's like, he's leading troops. And people are like, man, you look exactly like all those paintings of that Napoleon dude from like 100 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Um, again, I, I, think he's, I think he's probably successful militarily just because he has those leadership intangibles of... Not being afraid to be out front um, with his guys. He's super charismatic. He is really good at raising morale. But yeah, I don't. I, I think it's it's impossible to know how good he is at implementing modern weapons and tactics that are brand new in World War One. 
but I think if he, I think if he survives the war, I don't know how much of an impact he has on the outcome of the war itself. But I think if he survives the war, he's definitely at least like national level politician in France. If not, right? The uh, did France have presidents at that time? Yeah, yeah. So it probably president of France, and maybe even ambitions to you know may, maybe he is like. Uh, in the Treaty of Versailles, maybe he wants to be like way harder on the Germans. I think he would absolutely be like be you know way more expansionist in France. That's true. And you think of those pictures of uh, Roosevelt and Stalin and Churchill; those now include Napoleon. Yeah. The weird part about that is, you know, like obviously the the punishments for the Treaty of Versailles were obviously a huge factor in leading to World War II to begin with. Right. Like they were already pretty harsh on Germany, and now you make that even harder. With Napoleon at the table. Well, and if Napoleon is like president of France, you know, uh, like a, a Roosevelt or a Churchill at the beginning of World War II, I wonder if he is just like, no, we're going to fight tooth and nail and like there's going to be no surrender of France. Like, because think about like when he was at uh, when he was at uh, at Leipzig, the first time that he's defeated, the allies said, hey, look. We'll, you know, call this battle off. You know, you could even be still the emperor of France. Like, you can keep your power. You just got to, like, tone back the territory a little bit. And he was like, no. No. You know, unacceptable. And ended up fighting and losing just to because of his ego. Mm. Wouldn't let him accept any kind of, yeah, surrender or capitulate in any way. So, I'd, yeah, I wonder if maybe France is a lot more is more aggressive in uh, in World War II if France or if uh, Napoleon is president. Let let's uh let's now uh shift to Lawrence and we're going to put TE Lawrence in France in the early 19th century. So kind of the opposite. Now we're taking TE Lawrence and putting him 100 years previously. And I mean the first thing I think about is Joe mentioning, you know, Napoleon's trip to Egypt and I can see that's where T. Lawrence just like never leaves. Like the French go down, he's with Napoleon's group, and then they all go back, and T. Lawrence just stays down in Egypt, and then works his way into Arabia a hundred years earlier. Oh, I, I, I think that he, uh, so he, he speaks French, so that's not, uh, you know, it, that's no factor. But I, he's, I think he would still be super interested in the Crusader castles. Um, so maybe he just, maybe he just does that. Maybe he's just like doing like history and archaeology is mm. never gets into the spy stuff. Cause that's, he kind of got roped into the spy stuff because world war one just happened to kick off while he was doing his archaeology stuff. Yeah. I think he, he has the exact same start. Like you said, I don't think, right. I don't think anything until the world war one aspect has any different effect. And, and the only reason that that doesn't happen is because this is pre imperialism. Uh, at least on a larger scale. I was trying to look up what was happening in the Ottoman Empire in the early 1800s. and uh, They would have been much larger. Okay, okay. There's uh, something called the Serbian Revolution, 1804 to 1815. So you, you can just see him, you can see various conflicts coming up in the area that he does kind of just end up having a front row seat for. So even if there's not a World War One, yeah, you said all of a sudden it's the Serbian Revolution instead that he finds himself... Uh, which isn't in Arabia or whatever, but yeah. But if he, I was gonna say, if he's in, if he's in like Syria and Jordan, right? You're right. He's enough away from that. The revolution right. in Serbia would not. I mean, even though it's in the True. Ottoman Empire, still, I don't, I don't think he gets probably involved. I, 
I think if he's if it's a hundred years earlier, I mean those those castles are from the Crusades, so it's like it's still the same. Right? Castles. Oh, you're right. Like, he's, <laughs> he's he's just doing he's just doing the archi- the archaeology stuff. He's just doing the learning about Crusader castles, and we probably never probably never hear about him. Uh, well, let's say specifically then we have a again a, an intelligent young you know kind of history buff of T. E. Lawrence. Let's have him actually meet Napoleon. Does Napoleon use him as an advisor? Does Napoleon try to get him to spy? How would how would uh, those two in uh, the early 1800s get along? I think Napoleon probably uses him the exact same way <laughs> that the British did, and uh, uses him to coordinate with uh, with locals to try and uh, you know maybe maybe fight in Egypt or or in the Arabian Peninsula somewhere. And they would de- they would have been able to talk to each other because again, <laughs> uh, Napoleon spoke French and T. E. Lawrence was fluent in French as well. So yeah, maybe uh, maybe he's just like, hey, you know what? Help me help me with uh, some conquering out out there in the desert. Give me some of that that uh, that sweet sweet Egyptian territory. <laughs> <laughs> What I like about all that, it it does kind of make T. E. Lawrence this kind of timeless figure in that you just you throw him a hundred years earlier and he basically lives the same life and you can kind of keep doing that. Right. That that makes him really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I I think that T. E. Lawrence's his like his first love is is history and um, archaeology, specifically Crusader castles. So I think putting him a hundred years earlier doesn't really change any of that, even because like he <laughs> he uh, he didn't even need like the modern transportation because he was like riding his bike, you know, a thousand miles <laughs> to see the castles. And then and then when he was doing his uh, his dissertation for his Ph.D., he was walking in Jordan and Syria. So it's he probably would have had like the exact same start. Now, if uh yeah if if we say well napoleon you know taps him to do some sort of uh diplomacy or intelligence gathering something like that again he's probably super successful because the tactics and the world did not really change like that much between 1815 and 1915 so yeah right ironically ironically the uh method or the mode of his death is the one technology that would be different he wouldn't have a motorcycle to crash if he had been around 100 years earlier pretty much yeah he's got to crash his horse (laughs) he was in a plane crash and that didn't kill him so we know that he's good to go it was the motorcycles yeah that he couldn't handle okay so let's put uh napoleon just as bill and ted's did we saw that napoleon was uh, very fond of water slides and wasn't very good at bowling uh, but let, let's uh, if we put Napoleon in the modern world, and again, let's start with the he's not necessarily born in the modern world. We're doing the Bill and Ted thing, and we are transporting Napoleon to the modern world. And what does he think of the 21st century? Hmm. I don't know. I I don't I don't know if he's able to be as successful as as a political leader. You know, in 2021, you can't really stage a coup, make an empire. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's almost the Genghis Khan situation again. Yeah. Mm. Maybe not quite to the same degree, but... Right. But again, maybe he just... Maybe the... Instead of the political arena, it's the it's the business thing. And maybe he's just a... I think he'd be a hugely successful... Kind of like a Wolf of Wall Street, you know, Jordan Belfort type, where he's, quote-unquote, in the trenches with his guys, you know, raising morale and super charismatic and all that. 
and we, we again we we do know that he was incredibly charismatic. So that's still gonna yeah. that's still gonna be beneficial to him in the modern yeah. era. He can still be in the military. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the same thing as putting him in World War One. He's charismatic. He's probably a successful military leader. Probably successful in politics. Maybe not an emperor, but I mean, president of France, no problem. That's probably fair. That's probably fair. And then uh, T. Lawrence in the modern world. So yeah, he's still kind of that history lover, still probably an archaeologist. Again, the exact same life. Yep. Right, just without the spying, I guess. Well, I say that unless, again, uh, you know, does MI6 tap him? He Or is he James Bond? Now he, he's spying in the Middle East. I was going to say, think think of a better time other than World War One to put a British spy who's fluent in Arabic and, like, has the, is in the good graces of a bunch of Arab revolutionary groups. Like, I think he's uh, yeah. cr- a crazy successful British intelligence operative. Right now. Yeah, like today. Yeah, maybe more so. Yeah, if you are using him as this, uh, oh, he's, uh, he's uh, you know, ostensibly a archaeologist who is secretly a British spy James Bond type over in the Middle East right now. Does he sympathize with ISIS? <laughs> <laughs> like... Try to create their own Islamic state? No, I, no, I don't think I wouldn't see him holding with any kind of fundamentalism or anything like that. I think he'd be actively opposed to uh, to those regimes. But I think maybe like he, he probably again, depending on what year specifically we're talking, but he probably would have gotten really involved in the Arab Spring in like oh yes, what was that yes. 2009, 2010? Yeah, or even a little later. And then uh, well, then now the other issue too is so in the 21st century is he openly gay but then does that also hurt him in arabia where that's less okay and like he's out over in britain and then wants to go be an archaeologist over in iran or you know saudi arabia and they're like yeah not so much well i mean he could have he could be an openly gay person in the uk and then when he's doing his spying stuff it probably doesn't even come up it's not like he shows up and is a spy is like i'm a spy and i'm gay like it's, yeah <laughs> you know what i mean it, well, it depends on his level of notoriety if, if i'm saying if he's if he's famous enough and then it becomes more of an issue but you're oh. right but when he's when he's a no-name spy early on you're right it wouldn't matter right yeah i don't know i i think after he's done doing his spy stuff i think he i mean he wrote a book but i think he probably has a tv like a netflix special or a podcast or a youtube channel like once he's done he's he's gonna tell the stories of stuff that he did and stuff that he maybe didn't do but it still sounds really cool you literally just beat me to it because i was literally about to mention that because <laughs> both of, we actually both of these characters wrote a book oh yeah and, huh. and i think they're both gonna be the same way like i think you know t.u lawrence he's probably like a youtube vlogger over in the middle east and like still over exaggerating what's going on every day right but with like millions of oh. followers yeah 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 maybe, maybe he's not a oh, so maybe he's not a like an intelligence operative maybe he's more like investigative journalism mm. Ooh. you know like with a youtube channel where he can or you know or or works for some new he's like the daily wire over like there an anderson cooper type yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. or uh, not, not daily wire what's the one i was looking for um what's the what's the alex jones one oh, my info wars oh <laughs> InfoWars, he's like InfoWars over there. No, no, no. T. Lawrence is actually smart and has uh, rational things to say. 
There's no gay frogs for T. Lawrence. He's picturing like over exaggerating what's oh, going well, on fair, over there. Fair, yeah, I, I see it more like a, like when uh, when Brian Williams got in trouble for like saying they were under fire when he was like on the scene and he really wasn't. Yeah. So I think it's a little more lo- yeah. lies like that. You're right. So he's yeah. that. That's probably more accurate. It's probably harder for him to get away with that stuff too in the modern day. Right, but he yeah he'd be prone to it. You know, yeah. For T. E. Lawrence, he's literally the only he's the only white dude around, and like. He goes back to the UK and writes his book. Like, who who are you going to ask if that story is true? Mm. Like, he's the only person that's accessible that's there that you can even ask. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. He he definitely would probably be some sort of, like, influencer, clout chaser. Because he... He really, he like he he wanted people to think that he was super cool, and he was. But he wanted people to think that he was super cool. Uh, while also being kind of an introvert, yeah. So you know, we kind of already talked about Napoleon, but I, since we jotted that memory, you know, what would Napoleon's book be? And and all I can picture is like a reality TV show, you know, because you know he was kind of that first big celebrity, you know, and his book was about his like failed relationship with one of his lovers hmm. you know and just that's just kind of what i picture is reality tv oh, show about like him and this woman i i thought maybe more of like a audacity of hope kind of like i'm not i'm not calling audacity of hope pretentious because i've never read it but like he'd be it'd be this like super pretentious like oh my gosh these are all the things that i did and i'm so cool and you know maybe not exaggerating but like making himself seem like really really important the idealized version yeah. so again pretty pretty cool instagram feed <laughs> oh from uh from napoleon he'd have somebody else doing it but yeah like napoleon is not is not he's not doing his own instagram he don't got time for that he's he can be running the country and he probably doesn't care that much about it but like for sure he there's somebody in his uh in his entourage he's making him look good uh, we can kind of slide back and forth here since we kind of already are. But yeah, so what, uh, what, mo- if let's say Napoleon is the president of France today, what sort of in- bold innovations is he trying to, uh, get through that, uh, maybe they struggle to get through now? You know, I don't know whether we're dealing with the virus or we're dealing with religious issues. And France is, you know, dealing with a lot of, uh, Muslim influx and how to deal with, uh, wearing, you know, the abayas in public and stuff like that. Just curious how Napoleon might approach some of those issues yeah. for France. I don't know. It, well, it's hard to say how, because how much of his, you know, attitudes towards certain things were influenced by the time that he was alive. Because like Napoleon's, like the Napoleonic Code is like famously super sexist against women. Oh, uh, okay. So I don't know if if maybe some of those attitudes change just by virtue of being alive in the modern day, and I would hope so. But yeah, if if we're talking just Napoleon. From the the Napoleonic era, just straight up as a president today, not good for French women. That's for sure. <laughs> and then let's uh, we kind of did a little bit of this with you know if they would meet, and we talked about Napoleon being or using Lawrence as you know as as a spy in his archaeology work, but just a as a man to man kind of thing. Let's just, like let's just they're just gonna sit down and have a cup of coffee. What do these two kind of think about each other and how you know would they get along would they find each other intellectually interesting or would they maybe hate each other i think napoleon is totally thinking about how he can use t.e lawrence i think that's the entire thought process for napoleon okay yeah i i think uh i think t.e lawrence is probably because obviously t.e lawrence would know about napoleon and would probably be super fascinated would love to talk to him i think napoleon yeah if (laughs) if he's interested at all is thinking about, yeah, how, how can I use this guy to help me and, and further the glory of my empire? 
but again, I think it's kind of a similar thing to Genghis Khan meeting Cleopatra. I think Napoleon is like, I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't have time for you. <laughs> like, oh, little peasant man running around the desert with your little Arab revolt. I can't even spare you five minutes. Like, I wonder <laughs> if Napoleon even takes that meeting, to be honest. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, uh, especially like, you know, we're talking about. In the modern era, maybe Napoleon is like a business owner. Like it's a waste of his money to spend the time to deal like, with T. E. Lawrence. Yeah. Like <laughs> just the whole time you sit there, like I've spent, you know, I make like however many, like my company's making however many, like dollars per second, hundreds of thousands of dollars per minute, and I just wasted five <laughs> of those minutes talking to this Brit that I don't care about, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not even useful to me. Then, then the flip side of that is you kind of say, you know, uh, T. Lawrence would be interested in Napoleon uh, historically, but again, just as a person, let's say Napoleon's not, doesn't have the resume, what, what would T. Lawrence just think of the person, Napoleon, uh, resume aside? Because they're both pretty arrogant, which is kind of interesting too. We know he's charismatic. Despite being arrogant, we do right. know people wanted to be around him. All his soldiers loved him and everything, right. So would T. Lawrence be won over by Napoleon? Maybe, uh, maybe they just like tell war stories for like a few hours. So I can see them bonding over that, yeah. And like half of them are made up. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. I like that. Just uh, two soldiers telling war stories and uh, both embellishing. That's that's probably the... Right, yeah. (laughs) It makes me think of Bill and Ted's when Napoleon was cheating on his score. He has has a little like one in front of his uh, bowling score when he's with with the kids in Bill and Ted's. And uh, I think that probably kind of fits and Lawrence would do the same thing. So let's do like we did last time and just uh, before we vote, just... uh, any any misconceptions? I don't know if there's any maybe necessarily as big as with uh, our matchup last time, but uh, what are some misconceptions about, say, T.E. Lawrence that people might have? I know he's, he's probably the least known person in our Final Four, although obviously everyone's heard of Lawrence of Arabia. Well, I, I would say uh, just, just right off the bat, Napoleon, not that short. T.E. Lawrence, not that tall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talk about like, oh, you know, you got a Napoleon complex because you're short, but really that was more of like a propaganda thing against them like the the way that they used inches like the inches were different so like if you use like french inches he was only or something about it was like it was like he was five two by french inches but they were bigger inches so like in reality he was probably like five six or something like that which is like average for the time so he really wasn't that short and then yeah on the flip side people think when they think of t.e lawrence they oh lawrence of arabia peter o'toole like over six foot tall no like T.E. Lawrence wasn't allowed to join the army because he was too short. Yeah, T.E. Lawrence was an inch shorter than Napoleon. Just looking it up. Right. It's worth it's worth noting <laughs> yeah. there. Logan mentions inches, but Napoleon spread the metric system. So true, true. Yeah, but it, like it, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, maybe, I'm just kidding. Maybe it isn't inches. It's it's like it's but there. Yeah, there. It's worth saying inches to put it in language that Americans will understand. <laughs> right. You say yeah. 2.3 meters, like. I don't know how big 2.3 meters. That's probably huge. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, that's what, no, enormous. Dude, that's, that's, that's like eight feet tall. <laughs> how many freedom units is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, as far as other other misconceptions, I don't think there is any. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. We, we really do know a lot about these dudes because like, I mean, obviously T.E. Lawrence was alive in modern times. Like World War One is not that long ago. And even Napoleon being alive in like, you know, the 200 years ago, early 19th century is still not like on the scale of history is not that long ago. Like we know a lot about them. So there aren't that many misconceptions about them 
um, as there are like with a Genghis Khan or a Cleopatra or something. That's fair. I would say T. Lawrence isn't notable enough or a household name enough to even have misconceptions about. And then, yeah, Napoleon, it's, the height, it's the height thing, and it, which is just kind of silly. Yeah, so uh, let's, uh, I guess it's time to put it to a vote. Um, Joe, why don't you start us off? Oh, uh, yeah, this is a tough one. <laughs> this one's really weird, you know, because like, you know, last time we had the hypotheticals were so different between each scenario. And here we have T.E. Lawrence, who's consistent the entire, the entire length of history. You put him anywhere, he's doing the same thing. And then we have Napoleon, who, you know, we ultimately deemed basically outside of his time period, he's probably slightly less successful, but but still going to have some success. And for me, I guess it comes back to almost the same conversation with that we had with both these guys in the previous round. You know, uh, Napoleon, despite his, you know, uh, advances as far as the Napoleonic Code, it really been done before on smaller scales. Uh, you know, his acceptance of people he conquered had really been done before on smaller scales. His expansionist had really been done before. Like it wasn't anything that new. And so the the same thing that I had with T. E. Lawrence, you know, I I see the many hats that he wears and you know, his transition is is so much more dynamic to me, I guess. And so Again, I talked about last time. I, I love Napoleon. I have a soft spot in my heart for Napoleon, but I'm I'm going T. Lawrence. I think his life story is more interesting. This this is really tough for me. I, I this is the one like the whole time we've been talking from the beginning of this episode, the whole time listening to both sides, you know, throwing in my own two cents, never with any kind of inkling of which way I wanted to vote. I, and again, like we said a million times, either of these guys could win the whole tournament, and I, I hate. To keep feeling like I'm the anti T. Lawrence person, going back to even you know him versus Gandhi and all that, and, I, and I'm, I'm really not. <laughs> so what, here, what I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do because I kind of I I think I know which way Logan's gonna go, and maybe I'm wrong. So in the championship round, spoiler alert for the listeners about what we're gonna do next time. We want to actually kind of like hash out a movie of each of the people in the in the finale here and you know cast it and plot it out and basically write the script for each of the people in the championship because this is history and film and so just because there's already lawrence of arabia and there's no good napoleon movies i'm going to use that as a tiebreaker that is a very good point that is a very good point and i'm going to vote napoleon just so, just because that will be a way more interesting conversation to hash out from a movie script comparison than T. Lawrence, who already has one of Logan's favorite movies. And I go, that's not a fair way to do it. But if, <laughs> but, but, but if I'm going to say it's a coin toss anyway, I'm going to use that as my tiebreaker. And I still am always compelled by the Napoleon as obscure, you know, peasant, effectively, to Emperor of France is is kind of unparalleled. And I know I didn't vote for him uh, with Matilda last time. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to go Napoleon. All right, so I love Napoleon's story. I think that his he is maybe the most ambitious person in all of history. I literally can't think of anyone who made a bigger climb than him. And because he wanted political power, but he you know was not born well enough, so he worked his way up to be the Emperor of France, which was a position that didn't even exist until <laughs> he made it, so that he could be in charge of France. So. You know, Napoleon, really cool. 
That being said, <laughs> I love T.E. Lawrence. I really, I his story is super interesting because of all the different hats that he wears, because of how dynamic it is. But also, I connect with it more on a personal level. I think just because he he was never, you know, it, it's kind of like the opposite reason of why Napoleon is so interesting. He didn't really have ambitions to be this great, you know, leader on the world stage. But uh, yeah, I don't know, just just all the the different little things that he did, and and he was, you know, living a life that was unique in a place that was you unique. He experienced a life that no one else no one else has and i don't even know if it's if it's possible to experience a life like that anymore and also not that this makes him interesting but uh lords of arabia is one of my all-time favorite movies uh, <laughs> so I, I am voting te lawrence also rich have you not seen the movie waterloo no oh is it pretty good it's a good napoleon movie yeah, it's really good. I wonder if it wasn't available on streaming, because obviously the only reason I didn't include a Napoleon film in the initial timeline of this project was because I couldn't find a one that was streaming with any kind of decent reviews. So maybe that was like a DVD-only kind of one that just wasn't yeah, available to stream. I'm going to look it up right now. I do think maybe you've even mentioned it before, but I have not seen it. It is a 1970 film. Okay, yeah, it is not. it is not available for streaming. You can get it on Amazon. Though. Okay, so that's why I didn't include So I need to check it out, though. You're that right. Rot- that Rotten Tomatoes score. What, what is the Rotten Tomatoes score? Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is 27, but IMDb is 7.3 out of 10. Oh, interesting. It's so a I'll- 27% on Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that might be why? another reason I didn't watch it. <laughs> what in the actual... Okay, but listen. There, there's, listen. There's movies it's- that critics hate and people no, love. Like, this is you know- stupid. This is stupid because it's a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes with 11 critics reviews, but it has a 1,000 plus audience ratings and an 82% audience score. And sometimes critics are stupid. So what are the critics saying against it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to read these reviews. It's probably just going to make me mad. But <laughs> it's it's really good. It's really good. It, but it... <laughs> so... I guess it's a uh, it's it's good though. Like I like it for the same reason that I like a movie like Lawrence of Arabia or A Bridge Too Far that you hate because it's like a really big scale movie with a lot of like huge you know it's, it's made in 1970s. So there's a lot of like practical effects and stuff, and like they use like a ton of extras to do these like huge battle scenes that are really really cool. Um, great but, cast: Rod Steiger, Christopher Plummer, Orson Welles. Holy cow! Yeah, it's good. It's a good movie. And it's not like it's over, it's not like it's too long. I'm trying to figure out, let's see, so Ebert, oh, basically Ebert says it's all spectacle and no heart kind of thing. Like, basically that, that you didn't get to know any of the characters well enough to right. care. It's all, of the, it's all of the things that Logan likes and none of the things that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joe, I, I tend to side with the critics, not always, but. He doesn't want to get yeah, emotionally yeah. attached. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. I don't know, it's, it's worth a look, though, if. Because it is a Napoleon movie, and if you haven't seen it, check it out. I I know we've talked about it before. Um, I don't remember when, but I know I've brought it up before. But because we just eliminated Napoleon, did you have any ideas, like, just off the top of your head for your Napoleon movie that you wanted well, I, to... I, I kind of wanted to ask that, because I think it's worth doing the same for Genghis Khan. Like, yeah. can we have, like, a... a like? The final episode be... We, we don't have to do, like, a full-on... Majority about a, the... In-depth one like we will next week, but just... But then kind of, like, a brief, brief blurb about the third-place finisher? Yeah. Oh, man, I, I feel like I would go off for or for too long on that. Way too maybe, long? Maybe, maybe, we, maybe we can do that. Honestly, maybe we can do that as a bonus thing, where we do, like, a 
consolation bracket where we actually do Napoleon and Genghis Khan in an episode. Let's let's actually maybe do that. Uh, okay, but uh, to f- find a do get a third place. Yeah, but let's not do that right now. We, we'll, we can do that actually after okay. the championship yeah. game. Maybe we'll do something like a little bonus like that. That's a good idea. Okay. So yes, T. E. Lawrence, even though I haven't voted for him since the first round, uh, does advance. <laughs> to the championship round to face Cleopatra. And again, as we said, so we're going to do something completely different for the championship round. We are going to cast and plot out and do basically a pitch meeting and a writer's room little meeting to uh, figure out which movie we'd, uh, what movies we would want to make. Obviously, both of these do have movies. You already have Lawrence Arabia. You already have multiple Cleopatra's movies and one on the way. But we're going to cast them, hash them out, figure out what we would do for a Cleopatra movie and a T.E. Lawrence movie and then decide which person we think is more interesting, which would be, in effect, choosing which film to greenlight, if you think about it. Because uh, that's what Hollywood would do, right? You want to, the movie, the most interesting movie is going to be the one that sells the most tickets, right? So right. that will be the championship for our tournament here. So thank you for listening, and check us out next time. <laughs> <laughs>